If you would, please turn to Leviticus chapter 26. We come as far as verse 13. Last week, um, as uh, we covered the first three or 13 verses here uh, in chapter 26, we looked at how God wanted to make provisions for them in the land. Um, how God wanted to bring peace in the land for them and how God wanted his presence with them. And, um, but it was contingent on belief and obedience. And pretty much the rest of the chapter follows suit. There's one major theme in, though, in the rest of this chapter that relates to the heart. And maybe that's something that we can consider as we start to go through this chapter together, the heart. Uh, let's, let's start, let's back up just one verse, verse 13 again. It says, I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their bondmen. I have broken the bands of your yoke, and I made you go upright. I just want to stop here for just a second. This thought... Um, or this phrase that I brought you out of the land of Egypt apparently is very important. And I'll tell you why. We read this twice in this chapter, this thought that God delivered them. In Leviticus alone, it's mentioned over ten times. I am the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the Old Testament, it's mentioned over a hundred times. That I am the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. It must have been important to God. And he wanted it to be important to them. That they would remember. Now look, you've heard me say before, we don't glory in our past. Well, we don't. There's nothing really we should look back in our B.C. days and, and, and glorify. I don't know about you. There's not much back there that I even want to revisit. Amen, guys? Kind of like it, leave it there, buried there, die there, whatever. No, but I think God does want us to remember that, that he bought us. He bought us. He freed us. We've been delivered. In fact, it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver and in whom we trust that he will deliver us. You listen to that carefully. It says that who delivered us, past tense, who is delivering us, present tense, and who will deliver us, uh, future tense. That God is in this deliverance thing, past, present, and future. That he is a God and he doesn't want us to forget that. You know what happens when we do? It's inevitable. We begin to relate or we to rely on our own wit. We begin to trust in our abilities and we begin to trust. Well, we start to think, hey, I got this. I can do it. Only f- later on to find out, man, we are, well, we have utterly failed. Anyone else experience that? Oh, yeah, he took me out of my land of Egypt. He's delivered me. He's delivered me presently, but I got it for the future. No, you don't, loser. No, I'm calling myself that. (laughs) Not you. I would never call you a loser. Me. But it's true. Over a hundred times in the New Testament, 
He wants them to know, I'm the one, I delivered you, I bought you, just as Jesus bought us. Now, let's go right into this. You know, we're going to go up to verse 46, but again, he sets it up for a major, a major theme here. He says in verse 14, But if you're not going to hearken unto me, will not do all these commandments... And if you shall despise my statutes, my words, my instructions, if your soul abhorred my judgments, that you will not do all my commandments, but that you would break my covenant, I, I also will do this unto you. And he starts to tell them. goes all the way to verse 46, actually. I will even appoint over you terror, fear. A consumption, a burning fever that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of the heart. You shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And when we study these different time periods with the Israelites, we, we see how God used the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the, the Romans... We see how he would use a pestilence, an infectious disease. We would see how God would use the famine uh, famine within the land. And you would look at it. Listen, it's why the world, when they look at the Bible, they think, wow, this God, this God is cruel. Now, we're going to read later on that the reason he really did that is because he loved them. He wanted them to enjoy a land that's just full of blessing. Like you and I, there will be things that we go through, gang. If you don't watch out, we'll have the tendency to go, well, like the Israelites, he's cruel. You can't deal with God. He's too powerful. We need to fear him. And that's not what God wants from our lives. No, he wants a reverence. He wants us to adore him. He wants us to reverence him, but he does not want us to think that in any moment he's going to take you out because you just weren't obedient. That's not what he's trying to relate uh, to the Israelites. Um, he, He goes on and he says in 17, I'm going to set my face against you. You shall be slain before your enemies... They that hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. In other words, fear is going to grip you so much that we're going to read in a little bit that even the rattling of the leaves on the ground, you're going to think it's an enemy. You're you're fleeing because of fear. There's not even any threat. He goes, and yet, verse 18... He says, if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, when I will punish you seven times more for your sin. Well, again, he goes, I'm going to break the pride of your power. And I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as, as brass. In other words, I'm going to break this, this pride of yours. You're so prideful and arrogant. I'm going to break it. I'm going to break it. Your sky is not going. Your skies will be unyielding to you. You're not going to have rain. You're going to experience drought. Look at verse 20. The strength shall be spent in vain. He says, "For your land shall not yield her increase. Neither shall the trees of the land yield her their fruit." 
Look at verse 21. If you walk contrary to me, the Hebrew, kare, K-E-R-E, kare, is a word where we get hostility. That, that, that's when you're opposing and you're disagreeing. There's a rebellious nature. That's what they were experiencing. They were rebelling against God's word. They were rebelling. They were opposing it. They were disagreeing with it, not only to God, but with each other. You see that throughout the history of, of the Israelites. He says, if, if, if you walk contrary to me, if you will not be reformed by me, he says in verse 23, and by these things, if you're going to walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary unto you. I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when you gather together within your city, I will send a pestilence among you. Some believe that word means an infectious disease. There are some scholars who really believe that there was a period of time where the Israelites were experiencing tuberculosis, this high fever, you're not, not being able to breathe, feeling like you're suffocating. He says, when you are gathered together in your cities, I'm going to send a pestilence among you. You will be delivered into the hand of the enemy and when I have broken the staff of your bread ten women shall break or shall bake your bread in one oven they shall deliver your bread again by the weight and you shall eat and not be satisfied again it seems a little poetic in a way but he's saying look ten women ten family are going to be able to use just one oven because there's not enough food for you will that get a hold of your attention Will the diseases get a hold of your attention? Will the enemies that are on the horizon, they're going to come in. They're going to take you into captivity. They're going to disperse you over the all. The, now, will that get your attention? Why will you continue to live hostile toward me? Why will you keep opposing my word and disagreeing? I love you. That's what God is saying here. Again, in verse, in verse 27, if, you're not, if you will not for all this hearken to me, but you're going to walk contrary to me, then I'm going to walk contrary unto you also in fury. And I, even I, I will chastise you seven times for your sin. And when you eat, wow, what a verse to throw in here. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, the flesh of your daughters. You're going to eat it. Are you trying to say that things are going to get so bad and so severe, so severe that the people will be brought down to this level? Well, if you know your Bible, the answer to that question is yes. We know this to be true internally, what we find in the Bible, and externally what we find in the writings of some historians. We find this to be true um, um, in Second Kings chapter 6 and Lamentations chapter 4 when we read about two women who have agreed. This is how bad it got, so severe that two women are holding their babies and they're trying to come up with some type of verbal contract. We'll eat your kid one day. And then tomorrow we'll eat your child. Will this get your attention, God says? How far does God have to bring a nation? 
How far does God have to bring a home or a life to where we finally say, God, I humble myself in the sight of the Lord. I yield to you. I give up. I tap out. Surrender. This is a, a plea that God is making. This isn't a call of judgment. He's not saying turn or burn. He's not. He's broken. Unfortunately, it doesn't get their attention. It doesn't. Look what he says in, oh, you, you know, look what he says in verse 30. He says, I'll destroy these high places. I'll cut down your images. What's he talking about here? He's talking about not only are the Israelites worshiping and serving the God of the Hebrews, but they're also worshiping the gods of the pagans, Ashtoreth, the Ashtoreth worship, Molech, God of pleasure, Mammon, the God of money, pleasure. He says, I'll cut them down. I'll cast your carcass, I'll cast carcass upon uh, the carcasses of your idols. I, I will, my soul shall abhorred you. I will make your cities waste. I'll bring down your sanctuaries unto desolation. I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. What is that all about? Well, let me take you back. Do you remember when God gave Moses those instructions to build that glorious portable tent? called the tabernacle. All the furnishings that were inside that tent, that menorah, single light, that table of showbread, that altar of incense which represented their prayers and all their offerings and worship, he said, would come up to me as a sweet-smelling Savior. You know, your translations might render, this is an aroma to rest. This brought pleasure to God. It brought pleasure to God when he would hear his, his children worshiping and worshiping through the offering of consecration and the offering of, of fellowship, the offering of service. When they would do that, he's going, oh, this, this is an aroma of rest. He's saying, listen, don't even bother anymore. Don't even bring it. I don't even want it. This is what he said through the prophet Isaiah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of a fed beast. I don't delight in the blood of your bullocks or your lambs or your he goats. I have no pleasure in them any longer. When you come to appear before me, who's required this at your hand? And you tread my courts. The very place that was sacred and hallowed. He goes, now you're treading. You are an intruder. It's heavy, isn't it? He says, bring no more of these vain oblations. These offerings that you're bringing to me, they're devoid of meaning. They're, They're empty. They're meaningless. There's no purpose. You're a hypocrite, is what he's saying to them. He goes, I don't want this celebration of a new moon and your Sabbaths. All the calling of your assemblies. 
I, I cannot away with. It's iniquity. Even a, the solemn meetings. He says, when you listen to this, gang, listen. Let me have your eyes because I, I know I didn't give you the reference, did I? But he says this. He goes, when you spread out your hands like this, God says, I will hide my eyes like this. I don't even want to see it. If this doesn't stir our hearts, that we, we could have the tendency of falling into this same error. When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes. When you make prayers, I'm not even going to hear them. In Amos, Amos 5, he says this, look, I, and it's a very, again, very harsh words. I hate, I despise your feast days, God says to them. He goes on, he says, I will not accept, nor will I regard them. Continuing, he says, take it away from me, the noise of your songs. I will not even hear the melody of your harps. Why would God be so heavy on this? Oh, my goodness. But no, no, look at the grander picture here, the bigger picture. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm going to take those bands off your necks, all the shackles You're going to be set free. You're going to be able to walk around with your head up. You're going to represent me. You're going to rep me. People are going to look at you as a peculiar people. But stay away from Moloch. Molech. Stay away from Mammon. Stay away from Astra. Don't build the high places. Don't worship the God, their gods. Were they obedient? No. No. Was God pleading more than once? Till he gets to this place where we're told in the Bible, the iniquity, the cup has overflowed. God has a measuring device. And once that iniquity begins, like the Ammonites, once the iniquity begins to overflow, God judges. And God judged the Israelites. Basically, their hearts were wrong. Their hearts was wrong. And this is where we're going to go this this morning. We're going to deal with this thing called the the heart. Not the cardia, not the place, that that physical muscle that pumps blood through our veins. No, we're talking about another place. But let's continue. He says, I will bring the land to desolation, in verse 32. Your enemies... Which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathens. I will draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate. Your cities waste. Did that ever happen? Yes. It did. We know in 722 the Assyrians took them captive. Dispersed them. We know in 586 the Babylonians took them away for 70 years and dispersed them. We know according to Josephus, that historian said that in 70 AD, they were captured and dispersed. In fact, until May 14, 1948, they lived in verse 33. Am I right? Yeah. Verse 33. May 14, 1943, is when God opened the door, the, the, the door for them to come back into their land. 
but they're still living in rebellion. Look at verse 34. Then shall the land enjoy your Sabbath. As long as it lieth desolate and you be in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy your Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbath when you dwelt upon it. Upon them that are left alive of you, I will send a, f- a faintness into their hearts. In the land of their enemy, in the lands of their enemy, a sword, or I'm sorry, the sound of a shaken leaf shall chase them, and they shall flee. Fleeing from a sword, they shall fall when none even pursues them. They shall fall one upon another, as it were before a sword, when none pursues. That's called paranoia, people. You shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the heathen, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And they that are left of you shall pine away, waste away in their iniquity in your, in your enemy's land. And also in the iniquity of their fathers shall they pine away with them. Now notice carefully 40 through 42. If they shall just confess their iniquity, the iniquity of their fathers, and their trespasses, their trespass which they trespassed against me, that also they have walked contrary unto me, lived hostile. They all also have walked contrary, I am sorry, also have walked contrary unto them, brought them into a land, the land of their enemies. If, if then their uncircumcised heart be humbled, and they accept of the punishment of their iniquity, Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, also my covenant with Isaac, also my covenant with Abraham. Will I remember? I will remember the land. All they have to do is make it a heart issue. It's about the heart. I think if the enemy of our souls could do anything. If there was just one weapon in his hand, the ability to divert us from the heart. Because once that takes place, then all you have is to fall into legalism. The I must, I gotta, I... But when you know it's a heart Thing. It's a hard thing. It has nothing to do with the person next to you. It's a hard thing. It has nothing to do with your job. It's a hard thing. It has nothing to do with this country. It's, it's this place where Christ dwells. He says to them, the land also shall be left to them, they, and shall enjoy her Sabbath while she lieth desolate without them. They shall accept. They, I'm sorry. They shall accept of the punishment of their iniquity, because, even because they despise my judgment, and because their soul abhorred my statue. And yet, for all that, 
When they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly, to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. And here's the second time in this chapter. But I will, I will for their sake remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the heathen, that I might be their God, I am their Lord. And these are the statues, the judgments, and the laws which the Lord made between him and the children of Israel in Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. You know, we have something very awesome here. That even though, even though of all their rebellion and all their opposing and all their hostility, and even though they were in a land that wasn't theirs, God still thought about them. God wasn't done with them. You know, you think about this place that we call the heart. Some have called it the place of spirituality. It's a spiritual thing. It's an an, an internal tabernacle. I know this. The book of Revelation says, Behold, I stand at the door of your your heart, of your heart. And I knock, and if any man hears my voice and opens that door, he says, I will come in and I will what? Sub, my old king. You know what that means? I will tabernacle. I'll tabernacle. Everything that's represented in that tabernacle is in this place of spirituality in your, in your life. There's a lamp. There's a bread. There's an altar. The only thing that doesn't exist that was in that tabernacle was a veil to separate you from God. That's why he says now you can enter now into a more perfect sanctuary. The Holy of Holies. It's so important. This heart. One of the, my key verses in my, in my life. That every now and then the Holy Spirit brings back to my remembrance of course is Proverbs 4. 23. Where it says to keep your heart with all diligence. What does that mean? It means to guard it. To protect it. You know how easy it is just to let your guard down? You know. You can get so knocked off course by letting your guard down. You know, I... I, I have to confess to you, there's an attraction that I have with MMA, mixed martial arts. And I love watching some of these championship fights. But there was one fight recently, not too long ago, where the one trying to defend his title, well, he was kind of a guy that, well, would trash talk a lot and and kind of make fun of his opponent. He would drop down his guard and stick out his chin. He was so fast. That he could always get out of the way. And I remember this one time where this guy, his opponent, was quick to come back with a second hook and just clipped him on the chin and knocked him right out. That's how fast you can be taken out of the way. And some of you are laughing because the illustration sounds kind of stupid. But you know how many people I've seen knocked out in the course of my ministry? And I'm talking spiritually. Men and women and children just letting their guards down, not guarding their hearts. And before you know it, they're in my office crying because they've been knocked out. 
And they're no longer following Christ. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Your heart, this place of spirituality, this internal tabernacle where Christ dwells, where the new man now resides, that determines your course in life. And you have to guard it and protect it. That means you, you watch what goes into the ear gate or into the eye gate. Because those hands will drop real quick. And before you know it, you're out. God is the one who tries the heart. Now, because of my time, I'm going to just give you a little uh, some cross-references. But jot them down for me, would you please? I'm also going to give you a homework assignment. Test will be next week. Oh, everybody's looking for a pen now. God is the one, this, ain't the, this isn't to test you, but God is the one who tries the heart. The word try there in, in Jeremiah 12, verse 3, is the word where we go, he'll test it. Now, does he test it so that he will see where we stand in this thing that we call our relationship with him? Is he testing us so he can see if you are worshiping Moloch or worshiping Astra? No, he already knows. No, he tries us, tests us so that we will. Tells us in Jeremiah 12, 3, But thou, O Lord, knowest me, thou hast seen me, you have tried my heart. He is the one that knows already. He says that in Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah is all about the heart. He was the weeping prophet. But he says in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1, Oh, but, O Lord of hosts, that tries the, that, that tries the righteous, you test it. You see the reins. You see the reins. The reins. The, the reins on a horse is the way you steer it. He sees the way we're direct, allowing our hearts to direct us. Jeremiah also is the one who invited God. Will you today invite God to search it out? Sometimes when we know the truth, we're very hesitant to say, God, I want you to try me, test me. We're hesitant to say, hey, God, I want you to search it. No, we're hesitant to do that because we already know what's in there and we might not want to deal with it. You don't, listen, God loves you too much. He wants to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. So he will try you. He will test you. He will chastise you because God loves the ones, you know, he chastises the ones he loves. You with me guys today? Jeremiah 17.10 says, O Lord, search. Search my heart. Try my reins. You know, guys, there's a very important psalm. David wrote it, Psalms 51. We're all familiar with this psalm. Maybe you don't know this, though. This is the psalm where he says, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a steadfastness within me or a right spirit. Renew a right spirit. See, in the Hebrew, there are two words for creation or to create something. There's a word that God uses back in Genesis, that God created the heavens and the earth. God created man. God created, well, he created man from dust, right? 
He took dust, he formed man. He took a rib, he took something from Adam, created woman. The word he uses here is a word called bara, B-A-R-A. The word is only used when God creates something out of, well, out of nothing. David realized because of the gravity of his sin. He realized according to Levitical Mosaic law, there was no burnt offerings, there was no sacrifices that he could offer. The only thing David could rely on at this time was grace. You mean how there's grace in the Old Testament? Oh boy, is there. This is just one reference to it. He knew because of his sin with Bathsheba, the murder of Uriah, the deception upon a, of a nation. When he should have been at battle, at war, he's home. He realized the gravity of his sin. Man, God, you've got to do something all over. Don't even try to reform my heart, God. I, I blew it. But would you create in me, Bara? Would you start over? Would you do that? Would you create a steadfastness with me? Because I really blew it. You know, that's the problem with the backslider. They think they got to come home and they got to rebuild. They got to they got to reconstruct. They got to put their own spiritual muscles to the task. And you're only setting yourself up for a greater defeat. No, if you just realize your pride and your arrogance and just come to him with a broken and contrite heart, God can start something all over again and create in you a new heart. Well, maybe that's not you today. I get that. It might be that God just has to deal with something as, well, like washing a foot. Oh, Harry, what are you talking about now? Nah, listen. Remember that whole incident with Jesus washing the feet of the disciples? Stay with me. This all makes rhyme and reason. He puts on that, that servant's towel around him. And what, I get, what gets me is the servant towel gets me. But in order for him to wash their feet, he has to kneel to them. You know, it's just a side note. Men love to be served. They do. They love to be noticed. They want that higher seat. They want to be recognized as knowing someone of great importance where Jesus said, now, all that you do, do it in your closet. If you want to be acknowledged in heaven, don't be acknowledged by man. Jesus takes that towel and he kneels down to Peter's feet. And Peter stops him. And I think I get Peter here. Oh, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. No way. Jesus says something very profound. If I don't do this, you have no part in the kingdom. Nothing. And Peter says, well, Lord, if that's the case, then give me a bath. And he says, no, Pete, you've already had that. Now, there's just times where you just need to have your feet washed. See, there are some who are so backslidden, so far off course, knocked out, They have to cry to God for something new. But there are those where they just need their feet washed. 
They look at their hearts and they realize, now I've allowed too much in the ear gate and too much in the eye. I haven't, I, my, you know, my home isn't the way it should be. I'm not a witness at work. Lord, will you come and just wash my feet today? You know what, guys? There are 10 reasons that I came up with just in closing of why it's so important to guard our, guard, guard our hearts. Please write them down, and I'm only going to give you the reference. That's the test next week. Number one is because with the heart, a man believes unto salvation. It tells us in Acts chapter, or Romans 10.10, 10, for with the heart, a man believes unto, self, unto righteousness. You know, so many people with, has the legalistic mentality. They believe in something because they have set up some principle or some regulation. So therefore, they believe. It's not the kind of belief God wants in our hearts. He wants a faith, a trust. What everything God has said, you can rest, you can lean upon, it'll save you. You gotta guard it because that's the way we believe. Number two, it's the way we serve. It tells us in Deuteronomy eleven, I'll just read the latter part of the verse, but eleven thirteen he says, To serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Anything outside of that is legalism. I think that if I do, if I serve God because I have to, that ministry will quickly die. But when you serve God with your heart, there's a love connection there. You don't serve Him because you have to. You serve Him because you get to. In fact, you're still blown away that God would even want to use the likes of us. Sinners saved by grace. The chiefest of all sinners. Within us dwelleth no good things. There's nothing good about us. God doesn't look down from heaven and go, Wow, look at that group. Boy, did I miss that South Jersey group. How could I have missed that lot? You know, and no. We're used because we love him. And if you're in ministry for any other reason... You're lowering your guard and you're going to get caught. And you're going to get knocked off course. But if you're doing it because you just love him, you're on track. Number three is we keep God's word in the, from the heart. We have the tendency to think we can memorize verses. We can read through the Bible in a year. And those things are great. Don't, don't misunderstand me. They're good things. But... If that word does not filter down into the heart, it never will take a permanent residence. In fact, the Bible even talks about opening our heart and so God can pour his word into our heart. What's the heart? That tabernacle, the seat of all spirituality, that place. That's where I want that library to be, not just up in the cranium. I've hurt myself in my BC days. I can't retain a lot up there anymore, you know. I see too many amens. I want to hear your story. You know, But it's true, isn't it? How easily we can forget. Boy, you don't forget it once it's in the heart, though. 
Once God puts it in the heart, man, it's like, boy, anytime he wants to use it, he can bring it back to our remembrance. Amen, guys? Our walk, our life. Well, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 26, 16 was, the, was keeping God's word in the heart. He says in, in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4, that our life, our walk in this world is governed by the heart. Number five, we trust in the Lord with all our hearts. Amen, guys? Proverbs chapter 3, 5. We all know the verse, but do we live the verse? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. That word lean means to have con- conviction, to have confidence, expectation. What, who, who are you trusting in? Who are you leaning upon? What do you place confidence in? Your wit? That's lowering your guard. We don't put confidence in the flesh. Number six, we love God with our hearts. Jesus thought it was important in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Yes, yeah, strength, soul, you know, your soul and your strength. But he says love, that what, the human heart? The, the, the heart of flesh that's uncircumcised? No, no, no. The seed, the place where God dwells. Where you now dwell, in a sense. You, ha- you have to make the distinction between the flesh and the spirit. The brain and the spirit. The world and the kingdom. And that, that might take some time, young Christian. But I pray that you grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of his grace. And you realize, what? no, that thought I just had is the flesh. Oh, that thought I had must be of the Holy Spirit. It lines up with his word. And only his word dwells in my heart. See, you grow in that. But we love God with all our hearts. And when we do let our guard down and we find ourselves sliding away, It tells us that with the heart we return to God in Deuteronomy 30, verse 2. We return to God with our hearts. In Ephesians chapter 6, 6, we do the will of God from the heart. Anything outside of that, then we're doing it by some legalistic thing or something. Here's the one that's very important to me. According to 1 Peter 3.15, we sanctify God in our hearts. Richard, you can make your way out, buddy. We sanctify God in our hearts. You know, guys, I'll be honest with you. When I know it's a heart issue, it's quite easy to do that. When it's just a, a head thing or when it's a legalistic thing, I find myself really struggling to set God apart. When when I'm just kind of quiet and I settle my heart down and I start to just worship God, He is the one that just enters the picture and I can see this is of God and this is not of God. This is what the Lord wants me. This is His will. This is not His will. It's a heart issue. And again, guard your heart. 
with all diligence, for out of it will flow the issue of life. It will determine whether you see what God's will is or what it isn't. And lastly, number 10, 1 Peter 1, 22. To really love one another. And in the last days, there will be a lack of that. To love one another as God required us to do. It takes our hearts. It takes a right heart. You know, when I make loving someone a heart issue and not a legalistic one, I find myself being real, not a hypocrite. I start to really enjoy that person and fellowship with that person and want to meet the needs of that person because all of a sudden I hear Christ in my heart. I sense his spirit and I'm seeing people the way Jesus sees people and I'm not so quick to judge. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Some of you this morning, it might be like a David. Lord, created me a clean heart. The word renew means strengthen. Strengthen. Steadfastness, if that's a word, be steadfast. I can't do it, God. I have no energy left. Just to get out to church this morning took everything I could muster up. Or just maybe you've let your guard down. Jesus is at your feet. And he's going to ask you today, will you let me wash your feet? Will you say yes today? Are you just going to go through those doors the way you came in, not changed? I beg you. No need to do that. You can go home with your heart totally changed. Just have to ask him to wash you. Would you lower your heads for a second? This morning, an invitation is to you. Is there anyone here today that maybe you've never asked Christ to come into your life? It's been kind of a religious thing to you to go out to church, think about a Bible. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and just slip it back down quickly? rest of you, I just want you to think about the message and the prayer team, I'm going to ask you to get ready to come up. And if you are one that just says, you know, I need a new heart, I want you to come up during this song. I want you to grab someone on the prayer team and pray with them.
Or maybe it's just you need the Lord to wash you. You do that. Don't go home the same. Please, I beg you. No need to do that. Go home changed. Please. Please. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Richard.